You know, being a parent or a grandparent and seeking to raise children or be involved with grandchildren is risky business. <laughs> There's a lot of risk associated with raising a family. I'll never forget in my childhood, one of the most traumatic events of my entire life. I was over at my grandparents' house where I would often be. And one afternoon in this hot summer day, we went out back and used one of the greatest inventions ever known to mankind, the slip and slide. And if you're not familiar with the slip and slide, it's just a, a, a long piece of yellow plastic with a, a little garden hose connection to it. And you plug in the garden hose and water would magically make its way onto that yellow plastic tarp. And you would start at one corner of the yard, run as humanly fast as you could run. And, and you would dive head first like the great Pete Rose. And you would try to slide all the way through the end of the yellow tarp into the neighbor's yard. That was the goal. And on this particular summer day, I, I set out on one end of the yard after my grandparents had laid out that slip and slide across the backyard. And I, I, I headed toward that beautiful yellow and I did a full-fledged Pete Rose. I mean, I'm talking in the air. I must have been 13 feet in the air before I hit that, that slip and slide. And when I hit that slip and slide, off I went. And, and I, was, I was cruising, cruising, cruising when all of a sudden I hit a significant speed bump. And I went airborne again. Which if you know anything about a slip and slide, you know is a really bad deal. <laughs> because there aren't supposed to be any speed bumps involved with the slip and slide. But my sweet grandmother, without knowing fully what she had done, or maybe she did know, <laughs> laid the slip and slide across a tree root. Yep. It hurt, it hurt a lot. <laughs> and I'll never forget going across that bad boy and I hit that tree root and I felt like somebody had just taken a baseball bat to my torso and, and up in the air I go and come back down and never did the slip and slide ever again. In fact, it was so profound. I mentioned it at my grandmother's funeral as a tribute to her life and legacy. <laughs> I'll never forget that day. And if you've ever raised a child or you're involved with your grandchildren, you know parenting comes with a lot of risk and it, it comes with a lot of unknowns. Some of you remember, remember some of the risk, you grew up in a culture where, where like you didn't wear a seatbelt, right? You didn't make your kids wear a seatbelt. Like some of you were like, there were no car seats. Some of you remember driving around in your car or truck and you take your kids and you just throw them on the dashboard. You know what I mean? Like there, there were no laws that governed how you rode around your, your community. You just had kids. There you had people in the back of the truck, front of the truck, people on the hood of the truck and, and, and off you went, right? Some of you remember toys that would never be allowed to be placed in a store today. Right? Like you see modern toys as sissy toys because that's what they are. Some of you remember lawn darts, remember? Lawn darts that were designed to impale your children. 
They weren't the sissy lawn darts today with a little plastic cup on the end of it. No, these things had daggers on them. And we would all gather around that little hula hoop and be like, all right, here it comes, here it comes. We were the envy of, of, of hospitals around the nation. Like we were big business for hospitals back then, right? Just a totally different day and time. And so whatever generation you were raised in, there's always been a little risk involved or a lot of risk involved in parenting or grandparenting, raising children. There's always risk, you know, and we try to mitigate that risk as much as we can. And, and today in our series on intentional family, we're gonna talk about what I believe is the greatest risk to our families today. And it's a serious risk. It's a little more serious than a lawn dart or even the old slip and slide. It's, it's something that all of us have access to, all of us make use of. It's technology. If you were to ask me, what is the greatest risk to our children, our grandchildren, to the well-being of our families, to the health, the spiritual vitality of our families moving forward, I would tell you without question, technology. There's not even a close second. And what's unique about raising a child or, or being involved in your grandchildren today is, is, is the use of technology and all of its awesomeness presents more challenges than, than we've ever had to deal with before. And these challenges are ongoing. They're always changing and evolving. And, and, and listen, there, there really is no greater risk to the well-being of our families than the use of technology. And before some of you are like, oh, here we go. Got an old school guy talking about technology and its evils. No, 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 Like, I love technology. <laughs> I love it. In fact, I love it so much. When you come back tonight at five o'clock, we're gonna have some incredible features in our service. And then we're gonna go outside and we're gonna watch Tom Brady destroy the Rams on a 20 foot screen, all right? That's what we're gonna watch, yes, a 20 foot screen. And, and we're thinking about even having like TVs in front of the screen just because we can. Because we love technology. It's awesome that you could be in an event like the one we're gonna have tonight, which you gotta be at. You just, you cannot miss it. It's gonna be awesome in every way. And then like, we can watch the game. Like, like back in the day, like I remember, this is a true story. I remember when my, my dad brought home these Sony, um, they, were, they were called Watchmen. Do you remember the Walkmans? Weren't we big time back then? Some of you even had the clip. You had your CD player connected, right? You were literally a walk man or a walk woman. And I'll never forget my dad, somehow this company, like he got these watch mans and they were these little portable TVs and you had to pull in the signal through the antenna. All right, I looked like Marvin the Martian walking around and the screen was like one and a half inch by one and a half inch and it was black and white, but it was like, oh, you can actually watch TV. It was network TV, but it was TV. It was like, oh my goodness, that is the coolest thing, right? And now, like wherever you are, you can be flying at 30,000 feet watching your favorite movie or TV show. Don't you hate it when you fly and you get on one of the little planes that don't have the built-in TVs? Oh my goodness. 
Oh. Hey, it's brutal. If you never had that experience, it is brutal, all right? Like, what does our world come to that we have airplanes now without televisions on them, right? We still have those things, right? I mean, I love technology. We are blessed to to have the resources we have. Listen, it's incredible to think that we have more information available at our fingertips today than most people throughout the history of the world had in their lifetimes. I mean, it's awesome. Like, do you remember when some of you, do you remember when like we used to have these things called encyclopedias? People like went door to door. Hey, you want this encyclopedia set? Yeah, how else will I know anything without these books? And then we even had like children's encyclopedias that had kid knowledge on stuff and adult encyclopedias that we largely never read, but it made us look smart when we had people over in our living rooms, right? And now like we, we have every piece of information available to us at our fingers. It's awesome. So I'm not anti-technology. I, I'm, I'm not gonna badmouth social media or the incredible opportunities we have to that. Listen, we, we, we can do more even as a faith family in terms of ministry and gospel engagement through technology today than at any point in our history. It's awesome, grateful. Every single week, thousands of you watch us online from literally places all around the world. That is awesome. We're gonna celebrate tonight what God has done through some of our creative features that, that is just mind blowing, okay? And, and so I'm not anti-technology, I'm not anti-social media, I'm not anti-advancement, that's not the point. But what I want you to understand today is we think about family is that technology is a tool that can be used either for good or for bad. It's a tool. It can be used for good or it can be used for bad. And what I see now more than anything else in our culture in terms of a risk or a danger to our lives, no matter what life stage you're in today, to our families is the incredible overuse of technology and even the abuse of it. It's a very real danger in numerous respects. Do you, do you realize that nearly half of all children now, eight and under, have a tablet or a small, smartphone? Half of all children, eight and under, have a tablet or a smartphone, and they spend now eight and under an average of two and a half hours a day on digital screens. Early data from a recent landmark National Institutes of Health study that began in 2018 indicates that children who spend more than two and a half hours a day on screen time activities score lower on language and thinking tests. And some children with more than seven hours a day of screen time, which sounds like a lot, but it's not. It's, it's easy to pull off when you're at a school with a tablet and most of your work is done on a laptop or a tablet and then you go home and you've got your phone or your tablet or your computer or your TV. What, what we're discovering now through these landmark studies is that more than seven hours a day for a child of screen time actually changes the dynamic of the brain. The brain's cortex, which is the area of the brain related to critical thinking and reasoning, begins to shrink. What happens later in life due to the aging process, researchers are finding, is happening to children who have overexposure to screen time. Dr. Victoria Dunkley, in an article in a study published by the Kaiser Family Foundation, said too much screen time is creating subtle 
brain damage in children. Many children suffer from sensory overload, hyperactivity, and a lack of sleep. These children often act impulsively, they're moody, and they struggle to pay attention in class or at home. Of course, when we look to older children and teenagers, we're discovering the significant impact of technology as well, both good and bad. According to a Pew Research Center study in 2018, 95% of teenagers have a smartphone and 45% of them claim, they claim themselves, okay, based on this study, that they're on the web, quote, almost constantly, end quote. Here's an interesting part of the study. Only 31% of teenagers said that social media in particular has a positive effect on them and their peers, only 31%. Nearly 70% of teenagers said in this study that social media has a neutral or a negative effect, but they still use it regularly. So by, by their own admission, teenagers are stating that social media has either a neutral or a negative effect at a rate of seven out of 10. They realize the damage that can be done. And then for adults, for parents, or even grandparents, if we're honest, we know that the use of technology presents a challenge for us as well. Technology and social media use among adults is as significant as ever. From October of 2018 to October of 2019, so in one year's time, social media users worldwide grew by 328 million people. Here's how that breaks down. That's an average of 10 new social media accounts per second. On average, people have seven social media accounts. The average amount of time people spend on social media, adults, every single day is two hours. To be sure, there are some positives that come out of social media and studies have, have communicated that, th that some of the positives are uh, self-expression, which I would not always count as a positive, by the way, <laughs> but self-expression community building and awareness to others, but the negatives we see far outweigh the positives. The negatives, frankly, can be devastating and crippling to adults and to students. Depression, anxiety, poor body image, fear of missing out, and poor sleep quality are but a few of the most pronounced negatives that people are wrestling with because of overexposure to technology and social media. According to the Pew Research Center, 31% of adults claim to be on technology almost constantly. So 45% of teenagers, 31% of adults, these numbers continue to rise. And so as we think about intentional family today, I, I want us to tackle this most immediate danger, not in a way that, that is antiquated or demeaning of the tools that we have available to us. Technology is not a bad thing, but it is a tool that can be used either for good or for bad. And many of us are not managing our technology wisely in our homes in a way that ensures it's used for good. And so I wanna give you a couple of dangers that we need to be aware of, and then a few takeaways on how to navigate technology in our families. All right, I encourage you to take these down. First of all, I want you to see that technology encourages comparison over contentment. 
This is one of the primary dangers of the technology that we have in our faces all of the time. It, it encourages comparison over contentment. You see, based on the numerous studies we have, it is clear that adults and teenagers who use social media are less happy than those who don't. There are too many studies on this to even cite them all because it's widely understood today that the use of social media as a regular habit diminishes your happiness and your contentment. One of the primary reasons for this is that it is constantly putting you in a place of comparison. Now, there are other reasons. A lot of what we see on social media is negative. A lot of what we read and see um, is, 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 is people expressing thoughts and opinions on matters related to culture, society, politics, and, and, and a lot of that's negative. People say things on social media that they would never say in person. Everybody is brave, confident, courageous when they're sitting behind a keyboard. I call them keyboard warriors. They would never say to someone in person what they say online through social media platforms. But social media makes everybody a warrior (laughs) because you can type and say whatever you want with supposedly little or no consequence, even though we know that's not true. There can be significant consequences. Another negative is just the game of comparison. We're always seeing everybody's best up against our Worst. In fact, this issue has now reached the United States Congress. You may have seen this over the past week, but Congress is now pressing Facebook because Facebook, who owns Instagram, is looking to develop an Instagram app for children. But Congress recently uncovered that Facebook had been hiding its data on the negativity of Instagram in the lives of teenagers. It has a profound negative effect on teenagers who use it regularly. Facebook hid this from regulators and now Congress is taking action because there are so many congressmen, both Democratic and Republican, who are angered over the fact that Facebook withheld and even hid this information. And they're not permitting Facebook to develop Instagram for kids because of the damage that it has caused in the lives of teens. And there are numerous studies to this effect. Experts call this Facebook depression. They've coined the phrase, an hour a day keeps happiness away. Say, what's what's the big deal here that, that now... Everyone is recognizing, politicians, uh, scientists, behavioral experts, they're understanding that a regular use of social media, it, it, it promotes unhappiness and negativity, especially in children and teenagers, but I would say even adults. And, 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 and one of the primary reasons for that is we play the game of comparison. And that speaks to our pride C.S. Lewis defined pride as the unrelenting, unceasing focus on self. Pride is the unrelenting, unceasing, relentless focus on self. And social media is largely a focus on self. And pride manifests itself in two ways. We often think of the first way, superiority. 
the superiority complex. We think, well, those who are arrogant or the most arrogant are those who display this superiority complex. And that is a manifestation of pride. And we see that, we see the humble bragging, we see you know, the promotion of, of, of self on social media. But let me tell you something, the second way pride is manifested is in inferiority. You can manifest pride in your life through both superiority or inferiority. Do you know why? Because both of those things are unrelentingly focused on yourself. And the danger of social media and the primary danger of regular technological use, especially as it relates to social media, which is what governs most of our technology use, is that we're constantly comparing ourselves to others. You can't scroll through social media without comparing yourself to someone else. What was originally designed to be a good thing in terms of staying connected has become a negative thing for many in that it becomes a game of comparison. And you never win the game of comparison when you're scrolling through your social media feed. And experts know this. They see the damage done to the confidence, self-image among especially teenagers and students and an overuse of social media and inappropriate use of these outlets create in us uh, either a superiority or an inferiority and all of that promotes our pride and it robs us of joy, happiness and contentment. I'm not saying you shouldn't have social media. I'm not saying you shouldn't use social media. I'm saying if you have it, if you use it, if you allow your teenagers to have it and your teenagers to use it, if you allow your children to have it and your children to use it, what I'm su suggesting is you need to be very, very, very careful because the risks are real and contentment is often compromised on the altar of comparison. That's real life. Whereas what we find in scripture and what we find in God's design is that every single one of us are unique, special, loved, accepted by God through the salvation of Jesus Christ. And our identity, our significance is never rooted in performance or in outdoing, out earning someone else. Uh, let me give you a few examples here. Philippians 4. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He says, I've never been in need. Truly, it's felt that way. So I'm about persecution here and hardship. He says, I've never truly been in need for I've learned to be content with whatever I have. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. He says, I've, I've learned, I can be content no matter what. I think if Paul were alive today, he would say, you know, as you're scrolling through Facebook or Instagram, scrolling through Twitter, you're on Snapchat, you're, 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 you're scrolling through TikTok, whatever it is that you use, I'm, I'm learning no matter what someone else has, no matter where they are, no matter what they're posting, I understand everybody has bad days, everybody has challenges, there's no perfect person, no perfect family. When I look at my life, I've been hungry, I've been full, I've had more than I need, I've had less than I want, but I've now learned through Christ who gives me strength that I can truly be content in every season and circumstance. That's important. That, that's the work of God in your life. First Corinthians one, I love this. This is talking about our calling and, and how God works, but to those 
called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles. Listen, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Our hope, our identity is tied to Christ. Watch this. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when the Lord called you. Instead, God chose things of the world that they consider foolish in order to shame those things that they consider wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame the powerful. And God chose the things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all. And he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Here's how God works. God works in an upside down way. We often draw our identity from how we look, what we have, and pride is always playing the comparison game. It's always in relation to how others look or what they have or don't have. And here's Paul saying, you know how God works? God works through normal, everyday people who don't look or do anything special, right? Don't look any special. And, and God, you know how God works? God, God works not through the, the wisdom of the world. He, he works through the power of his gospel. And what is his gospel? It's his unending unrelenting love toward the sinner, whether Jew or Greek, right? Regardless of your background, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of what resources you bring to the table, the gospel is God loves you. God sent his son to die for your sin. And when you, when you, when you respond to this free offer of salvation, you ask Jesus to come into your life, you ask him to forgive you of your sin, then, then Jesus saves you and he welcomes you into your family, not because of how you compare to anyone else, but because of his unconditional, unrelenting love in your life. He takes what the world would regard as weak and he uses it to shame the strong. <laughs> and so your identity is not ultimately in, it cannot be in how you look, how you compare, what you have, what you do, what position you hold, what influence you possess. No, all those things can be leveraged for good, but that's not the source of our identity. I love how Paul highlights that in terms of his identity, right? And he says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, even as an apostle, he says, I consider myself the least of all the apostles. Kind of the last one brought, brought into, the, into, the, into the fold. You know, he says, in fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But he says this, he says, but whatever I am now, it's all because God poured out his special favor on me. In other words, he says, I am who I am by the grace of God. And, and you know where your identity needs to lie and rest? You know what you need to teach your children and your grandchildren? That we are who we are by the grace of God. Our identity, our significance, our value, our worth is always tied to who we are in Christ as image bearers made in the image of God and redeemed by the blood of Christ. That's our identity that anchors us and that never Changes. He says, I am who I am by the grace of God. And I think lastly, in the Old Testament, Psalm 139, the psalmist says, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. <laughs> they outnumber the grains of sand on the beach, right? And when I wake up, you're still with me. God, how wonderful. I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by your good thoughts toward me, an image bearer. And so, and so I just wanna 
counter and combat this game of comparison that robs us of contentment on social media, the constant bombarding of images and messages that, that seek to remind us of what we don't have and how we don't look. Here's the reality. We are who we are by the grace of God. We have meaning, worth, identity, and significance because we are image bearers of the King and we've been redeemed by his blood. And that's an important message that should anchor every single one of us. And so it's good to keep in touch with others that you haven't seen in a while. And there are many good uses of technology and social media, but one of the dangers that we face, I think one of the most pronounced dangers is that we we're constantly comparing and never content. And we have to overcome that with a proper view of ourselves and who God has created us to be. Let me give you a second danger. Technology encourages distraction over discipline. Distraction over discipline. You know, we've trained ourselves to do, and, and I'm guilty of this as much as anyone else, we've trained ourselves to obey our devices anytime they chirp at us. And that's, that's a danger. I mean, do you remember when you first got a smartphone? Like, wasn't it so awesome to be wanted? Bing! Oh! <laughs> Let me check and see who's hitting up my digits, right? I'm so important. People just can't live without me. They got to talk to me and text me. Remember, originally those texts were like $400 a, a, a letter, right? And, and it was like, I mean, so... Again, that's, it's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just over time, we've trained ourselves to serve these sounds and these notifications to the extent that they interrupt our family time. They interrupt our meal time. They interrupt our prayer time. They interrupt our drive time. They interrupt our worship time. And so it's a danger. Doesn't mean we shouldn't have technology or cell phones. Doesn't mean we shouldn't text or message. It's, it's just a danger. It's so much of an issue for us that, listen, you, you know what? A, a lot of us actually see a phone call as a radical inconvenience. <laughs> There's a whole generation of people today like, oh my goodness, why would you ever call me? Just text me or message me, right? Nobody uses their phones to talk on the phone. That's not why you, you use your phone for gaming, messaging, pictures and videos that you'll never look at again, right? We have computers stacked up in the closet of just hard drives full of pictures that we might wanna look at again, right? Photo albums, we don't need photo albums. We have old hard drives, <laughs> right? And, and like, you don't call, right? It's, it's, it's just, it's a constant flow of, Pictures, videos, social media, news, Twitter, text, all of that. And, and there's, there's a huge distraction element of all of this. And, and here's the answer. We have to apply discipline to the technology that we have. It requires a great deal of discipline to ensure that your technology does not rob you from your family. It just takes a lot of discipline. 
It's needed. Every single one of us probably, I know I do, need to be sensitive to this. Listen, even last week in our conversation on marriage, I talked about communication and, and, and talked about, hey, you know, it never fails when you're sitting down to watch the Bucks game, right? Like, like, sure enough, that's when your spouse wants to walk in and have a conversation. And sure enough, at 4.15, my wife walked in and said, hey, sweetheart, I need to talk to you. <laughs> and I was 95% sure she was kidding, but I wasn't 100% sure. <laughs> She was kidding. I thought it was hilarious. I've had other people tell me, hey, I went in and I told my husband about 4.30, I said, hey, honey, I really need to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, that ain't funny to us, ladies, okay? Because we we're not 100% sure you're being uh, a joker. And like, we're like, oh no, what I do, you know? And, and we had fun with that last weekend. A lot of you had fun with that. But, but here's the reality. I have been more guilty of talking to my sweet wife and, and being distracted by my phone than I ever have the television screen. <laughs> like if I really wanna tell on myself, watching the game isn't nearly as much of a big deal as having a conversation with her and, um, and somebody texts me or, or I'm looking at an email that came through and she's gotta say, hello. And I think, oh no, no, I'm doing both. I'm with you, I'm with you, baby, I'm good. Okay, but see how important I am right now? I thought you might appreciate that, I'm talking to you. You're, this is how important you are to me. I'm talking to you even while I'm multitasking. And you know what that got me? A visit on the sofa that night. That's what that got me. Because for some reason, she doesn't appreciate the fact that she's not as important as all my text messages. And the reality is, if I'm telling on myself, there's been more than one occasion where, you know, my wife, my kids, whoever, and it's like, like, you just, it's always there, right? I, I mean, a, a, a big thing adjusting to those of you in business, right? I mean, like being in a, remember we used to have meetings, we'd come in and have a meeting and now people have their laptops up, their messages are on there, their phones are out, their tablets are there. And there's just this whole generation of multi-text. Some of you are texting somebody right now as I'm saying this, <laughs> right? It's, it's a distraction, it's always there. And there are times we've got to set down the phone, the device and pay attention and, and seek to develop community and family. It's a danger. It takes discipline to overcome it. Let me, let me show you 1 Corinthians 9. I love this. This is Paul talking about the need for discipline. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one gets the prize. So you need to run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. You don't just show up to the Olympics and say, hey, you know, I used to run a little bit in high school. I think I'm good to go. No, no, no. It takes a lifetime of training. You have to be disciplined with your diet, your schedule, your workouts, your practice, right? He says, they do it to win a prize that will fade away. We do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I'll be disqualified. He's like, it takes discipline. It takes intentionality. And I see managing technology the same way. There's a danger that comparison will overthrow contentment and that distraction overthrows discipline. And we develop a culture in our homes where we're always responding to the notification and not each other. That's a danger. Third, technology encourages isolation over community. I find it incredibly ironic that so much of social media, which is designed to connect us, has actually isolated us. It's, it's fascinating. 
You realize the average teenager sends over 3,300 text messages a month. Adults average four to five hours of screen time a day. The irony of so much of this technology in social media is that it really doesn't bring us together. It, it isolates us from others. And that's a danger we need to be careful for. Hebrews 10.4 reminds us that God has created us for community, right? He says, let us think of ways, the author of Hebrews says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to love and good works and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now as the day of the Lord's return is drawing near. We're created for community and relationship and we have to ensure that our technology and social media accentuates that. It doesn't rob us of that. And then fourth and finally, let me give you one last danger. Technology encourages ignorance over education. Parents, let me speak especially to us. Technology is changing so rapidly that we must investigate and ensure regularly that what we allow our kids to access is good for them and it's managed effectively. I'm just gonna tell you right now, if you're a parent, you're gonna be a parent here in the future, this will be the hardest part of your parenting because it is unrelenting. But it is your responsibility and mine to educate ourselves, to stay educated and informed, to do the research and the homework, to struggle through technology that maybe we've never used before, to talk to others who are in the same battle that we're in. It's imperative that we do the hard work so that we're not ignorant in what we're putting in the hands of our children. Listen, more parents and more grandparents today are unintentionally enabling evil in the lives of their children and grandchildren than at any point in human history. It's not intentional, but it's happening. Here's what we're doing when we give our children smartphones and devices without knowing 100% how they're used and what they can access, okay? With ignorance, not education, when we put something like that in the hands of our children, literally, it's like giving them a power tool and then acting surprised when they hurt themselves with it. There's a reason you don't give a six-year-old a power tool and just say, have at it. And I want you to know, this is a power tool. This can and will access anything and everything that the world has to offer. It can access anything and everything the world has to offer, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, without you knowing it. It's powerful, it's profound. And so we, we need to be careful. Let me give you some sobering realities, okay? And this is for all of us. You're a child, you're a student with us today, young professional. You're an adult, you're a parent, you're a grandparent. Listen to this, 51% of young men say they first saw pornography before the age of 13. That number is rapidly increasing. One in five searches online is for sexually immoral content. 70% of all children who are online have seen pornography, 70%. 20% of teens have sent or posted nude or semi-nude pictures of themselves to someone else. The percentage is higher for girls than it is boys, one in five. 40% of teens have sent sexually suggestive material via text or social media. I read an article last year by John Piper entitled, check out this title, Never Send Nude Selfies, Seven Reasons. I thought to myself, that's where we are as a society? I mean, this would be like when I was a kid seeing an article, never rob a bank, seven reasons. <laughs> You're like, that seems obvious. Well, it does. 
That podcast, that, that article was very helpful. Never send nude selfies, seven regions. You know why he published that? Because there's a huge need for that. I, I realize coming out of this message that some of you who are parents, grandparents, some of you even uh, as students, as young professionals, you, you, you need to make some adjustments in how you're, you're using your technology. Maybe you need some accountability, maybe you need some better training and education, but all of us need to understand the danger, not just get rid of it all, not try to live in some, some uh, reclusive state, but, but to better manage what we have at our disposal because what we have at our disposal is significant either for good or for bad. And, and as we've talked about recently, listen, we, we have to do everything we can to protect our children and ourselves from the unique dangers of sexual sin. We've talked about this. We have to be diligent. It's an unending battle. But we would be foolish as parents not to educate ourselves and train ourselves on what we're putting into the hands of our children that has so much access to what is harmful to them. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22 says this, talking about just the battle that all of us are facing. He, sa he says, this is Paul writing to Timothy, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace, and enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. It's like, you gotta flee, you gotta run. Romans 8, 13 says this, if you live by the desires of the flesh, okay? If you live by the desires of the flesh, you will die. But if through the power of the spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. What is he highlighting here? It's a battle, it's a fight. And, and we need to understand that, that in order for us to manage technology effectively, moms and dads, we, we have to elevate education over ignorance. We can't just drop devices in the hands of our children and expect that nothing bad is gonna happen. I know none of us think our kids would ever do X, Y, Z. I'm here just to break the news. Yes, they will, and yes, they are. Those of you who are students with us today, you know, you look at your life, maybe you see, yeah, there's a huge area here where I, man, I'm not walking with Jesus. And I want, I want to encourage you today to see the dangers of what you're putting in front of your eyes and your heart and your mind, whether through a steady diet of social media where your contentment's being stolen from you by comparison. Maybe you feel isolated. Maybe as a mom or a dad today, you feel like, yeah, I'm just overwhelmed. Well, listen, we're here to help, okay? And so let me give you quickly just a couple of next steps for, for the wise use of technology in your home. Then I'm gonna point you to a resource that we published that I think will be immensely helpful to you. And I, I want you to know our team is here. We're here to help you, encourage you, to help, help train uh, where that's necessary. But this is such a, a big issue for all of us. It's important we have a few positive takeaways. So let, let me give you, I've got five of these quickly. First of all, uh, parents limit screen time based on maturity and responsibility. It's like a funnel, right? You don't start your child at the top of the funnel when it comes to technology, you start them at the bottom and they work their way up. The more maturity they display, the more responsibility they display, the more trust they earn, you move them through the funnel and you give them more freedom. You don't start them at the top of the funnel. I know some of you don't realize this, maybe, maybe uh, parents or even grandparents, when you put a tablet, a phone, a laptop, whatever, um, a gaming system in the hands of your child or your grandchild, there, there is no limitation to what they can access, none. 
And they can access it in a way where you'll never know. And so you've got to limit screen time and programming based on maturity and responsibility. Secondly, let me encourage you to protect meal times as technology free and conversation focused. One of the primary things your children need, we're gonna talk about this a little bit next week, is, is regular time with you and family without interruption. Dinner is a great time to make that happen, meal time. The last I checked, all of us like to eat. <laughs> That's why we're gonna have 4,000 food trucks there tonight, okay? <laughs> have I mentioned you cannot miss tonight? Actually, we're gonna have the maximum number they will allow. And we, we actually went back to the vendor and we said, no, we have to have more than you're gonna give us. They gave us more. We said, we're Baptists. Y'all don't understand the force of food that we will consume, okay? They said, oh yeah, okay, we didn't, okay, well, here. The last time I checked, we all like to eat and, and teenagers love to eat. And so maximize meal time. set your phones aside. Few of us are important so important that we can't go half an hour, an hour without responding to the notification, okay? Third, take advantage of the parental controls on your devices. I'll say this, I am incredibly impressed with the parental controls that are available to us. They're really, really, really good. They're really good. You just have to know how to use them. You say, I have no idea. Well, I'm gonna give you a resource, but they're really, you need to take advantage of that. You need to monitor all the apps on your kids' devices to ensure that there's no third-party web browsing without any type of accountability. There are a lot of apps on your kids' devices that are just backdoor accesses to the web that you can never trace or never know about. And so you need to monitor that. There are ways your kids can access their social media platforms without having the apps. So we can walk that through with you. But I, I just want you to understand, you need, you need to monitor what apps bring a backdoor to the web with no accountability and no trackability. And, and you need to know what apps are there and how they work. That's your job as a parent, my job as a parent. All right, fourth, let me encourage you as you're talking with your children, because some of you are gonna have a serious conversation with your family today or this week. And I just want you to understand, you've got to move from rules to responsibility in your conversation with your children based on their age and maturity. If some of you can go home to a 17 year old and say, hey, we got a new set of rules, um, that's just the way it is, tough. I just I would say, that's not the best way to navigate a 17 year old in your home. The younger your children are, you start with rules, they're training wheels. If you've ever tried to reason with a four year old, you know, it doesn't go very well. Sitting down with a four year old and saying, now let me explain all the reasons to you. Okay, no, it's about rules. It's just rules, trust me, it's just rules, okay? They just need to know the black and the white. But if you treat your 17-year-old like your four-year-old, you're frustrated and discourage them. You know what your 17-year-old needs? Reason. Here's why. I know you may not agree. I know you may not understand. I know you're gonna tell me you're the only person in the history of the teenage world that's ever had to abide by this. I know, I know. Because I said the same thing when I was 17. But here's why we're doing what we're doing. And that's important. You move from rules to reason and you have a meaningful, substantive conversation. Finally, commit to doing the research that ensures your children are safe and sanctified. I just cannot reiterate this enough. You got to commit to the work. If you're going to put the power tool in their hand, you need to make sure they know how to use it and that you know how to use it. That's the big shift, parents, in the world in which we live, that our kids know more about these things than we do. And, um, 
That's a dangerous place for any of us to live. I can only imagine when I were 14, 15 years old, if I were given the freedom to do some things that my parents had no idea what I was doing or how to navigate the context of how it worked. I mean, that would be crazy. So you gotta commit to doing the research that ensures safety and sanctification and, um, and that's on us, all right? The last thing I would say, maybe this is bonus, okay? Is, hey, moms and dads, I would encourage you to live by similar parameters that you establish for your children. You know what I tell my children? They have the same accountability in their lives that I have in mine. I don't travel alone. My wife has access to every single thing on every single device I have. She has the passcode. She can look at everything I have. Every message I send, she has it all. And that's a good thing. I have access to everything she has. All of the emails from all of the vendors about all of the sales, I have access to all of that, all right? I can tell you right now who's having the biggest sale right now. (laughs) And you know what I'm able to say to my children? I do say this to them when they don't agree and I'm the only one and I don't like this and I I want this app and this platform. I say, no, not yet. And here's why. And I don't have this or here's how I manage it. Just tell them, hey, I'm living right where you live, you know? Just because I'm in my late twenties, doesn't mean, right? (laughs) Doesn't mean that I'm free from temptation or free from failure or, uh, listen, didn't the apostle Paul also say, take heed, like you who think that you don't sin or you won't sin, take heed lest you fall. Like I live by the same accountability platform as my children. Now I have some things they don't have, but I don't have them without accountability. So I, I, I think as a bonus, I would just say parents, If you don't have accountability, if you don't give your spouse access, if you're not having meaningful conversations, then start having them. Because it shouldn't be do as I say, not as I do. Your doing may be different because you're the parent, (laughs) but the motivation of the doing should be the same. 